Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. If you weren't with us last week, we began a study through the book of James, and so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get that out, and uh, we'll be there in just a few moments. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. That's our gift to you, but uh, we're so grateful for the chance to look at God's Word this morning and uh, share together. In the 1940s, MGM Studios tasked uh, William Barbera and Joseph Hanna with coming up with some sort of animated series that would help them establish an animated department. In the 1940s, all the rage was animation. Disney had the the head start, and so MGM approached these two guys and said, what can you come up with? Well, William and Joseph went to work, and they came up with a couple ideas. They had a a fox and a little boy, a dog, and I think a little girl, and they had a couple other ideas, and nothing, nothing stuck. And then finally, they came across the idea of what we now know to be Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry was created in the 1940s. It's been spun off nine different times. The original had 140 episodes, but ever since then, they're up to like 600 episodes, I think, total. And what makes this, uh, as they interviewed William and Joseph later in life, they said, what, how did you come up with this, and why did you determine to use a cat and a mouse for your series? And they said... There would be no shortage of material for the show because they were all, the characters were always in conflict and there was always the temptation for the cat to eat the mouse. And so they thought we could certainly come up with enough ideas. Keep in mind, most of Tom and Jerry has no voices, right? There's only, I think, three episodes that have any voice at all in it and it's usually another character outside of Tom and Jerry. So there's no shortage of material for the show and that's what they, they landed on. Well, there's also no shortage of material for just as Tom was always tempted to eat Jerry, there's a temptation that all of us face. And today we're going to look at what James has to say specifically around temptation because as the show had no shortage of material, there's no shortage of material for him to attack us. He's had thousands of years of practice working with humans, finding exactly what works best to tempt them to do what God doesn't want them to do. I think it's so helpful to learn from James as well, because James, uh, I had a professor in college that said it this way, everybody likes to read James and study James, but nobody actually likes to do what James says. So you may be on like your eighth or tenth time through the book of James here today, and hopefully this sticks with you a little bit longer than just the, the 30 minutes that we're together this morning. I also love learning from James is because he was a skeptic that turned to a leader. If you remember, Pastor John told you last week, James was the half-brother of Jesus, but also James didn't always believe his brother. If you can imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother, he always did everything right, and it was always be more like Jesus, and so James had to struggle with that, but he also, we know from Scripture that he struggled to even believe him. If you can imagine growing up with your brother and thinking, there's no way this guy is, is who he says he is. Matter of fact, in John chapter 7, verse 5, it says this, for even his own brothers didn't believe him. So James starts as a skeptic. There's no way my brother is the Messiah, the chosen one, but there was an event that happened that changed his mind. And I hope it is an event that has changed your mind about Jesus as well, and that event was the resurrection. Once Jesus came back from the dead, proving he was above sin, above death, and above all of those things, James believed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7 
the Apostle Paul is recounting all the people that Jesus appeared to after he came back from the dead. And then he appeared to James, and then all the apostles, and then lastly he concludes it if you keep reading to, to Paul. And so I think it's super helpful. This guy was a skeptic who then became the leader of the Jerusalem church. He was eventually martyred for his faith. Uh, church history says that he was thrown off the temple, the same place where Jesus was tempted, and he didn't die, and so they had to stone him. So this guy, while you look at it in a cursory reading of the book of James, is like, man, he's stepping on my toes and hurting my feelings. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. And he had finally reconciled in his mind that God was worth following. And he, so he writes in an, in an emphatic and kind of in-your-face way because I think he probably missed out on some of that in his life and he makes up for it in the way that he led and he did an incredible job leading but today, uh, I appreciate the chance to learn from him. It says in James chapter 1, verse 13, When tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. James wants us to understand today that temptation is inevitable. He says, when tempted. And temptation is that desire to do something wrong or unwise. Now, when we think about temptation, we typically think of the wrong things, but there's actually a lot of unwise things that we're tempted to do that probably aren't very beneficial. Paul says that a lot of things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And the thing that you have to understand about temptation is, is that my temptation is different than yours. And so often as Christians, we're like, seriously, are they really struggling with that? If I was to put some plates of chocolate around the room here for the next 30 minutes and just see how you all do... Some of you would have to get up and grab a piece of chocolate. I wouldn't have to. I don't like chocolate. Never have liked chocolate. Probably never will. And it's real easy for me to go, well, come on. It's just chocolate. Just ignore it and walk out the room. But right for some of us, though, that temptation, that draw is incredibly strong. And so we have to be careful when we're talking about temptation that we don't minimize what other people are tempted with because, once again, Satan has had thousands of years to perfect this. My temptation is not your temptation. And your temptation is not my temptation. But James makes clear that the source of temptation is not God. Ever since the very beginning, we've been looking for somebody to blame for our problems. Right? Keep in mind, Adam in the Garden of Eden, what did he say? The woman that you brought to me, that's why we're in this situation. And in the same way, we look to blame someone else for all of our problems. You saw it last week with the Colts, Right? It was just bad all the way around. You could say it wasn't because of this catch or that catch, but it was just bad, right? And so we all look to, to blame other people for our problems. And James says, first thing you got to understand, when tempted, it's not if, but it's when you're tempted. Every single one of us is going to be tempted by something. And James wants to make absolutely clear that the source of our temptation is not God. If you look overall at chapter one, you see that James is talking specifically about trials. 
And if you find yourself in a trial today, can I just encourage you to put your antennas up and watch specifically for temptation? Because temptation often happens in trials in ways that it doesn't any other time in our life. There are certainly the temptations maybe around to eat too much or to all the things that we normally struggle with. But within a trial, there are some temptations that occur that don't happen any other time. Let me give you a couple of examples. Let's say you're in a financial trial. Things are tough at work, inflation's high, and you're scrounging by on the money you have. There can be a temptation to trust God's providence there that maybe you don't have any other time in your life. And we like to think of too much chocolate or, or, or too much alcohol, but temptation encompasses every area of our life. Maybe you lost a loved one, and during that time, you were tempted to, to know whether you could actually trust that God loves you. It's within those trials that we're tempted in ways that we're normally not. Uh, maybe you see people suffering, and you could be tempted, can I trust God? Or does He even exist? And so there's temptations that occur that are always around us, but there's also temptations that if you look at the entire context of James chapter 1, he's trying to wake us up to go, wait a minute, if you're in a trial, heads up, because you're going to be faced with temptations that you normally don't face. And then, to make it even worse, there's all the normal temptations. So there's temptations that happen within a trial, but then there's everything else, like how are we going to spend our time? We've been trying to work with our kids on this. Just because you can do everything doesn't mean you should do everything. My wife texted me earlier this week a, a meme that said that she was running errands, and this is my free advice, guys, for the week. Um, if your wife says she's running errands, she's shopping. And maybe that's, your, maybe that's your temptation as you get into the store and you just can't stop. Maybe it's around sex or maybe it's around gossip, uh, students in the room. Maybe it's around cheating, right? It's like, oh, man, it's so easy just to look off another paper and not do my own work, and there's a temptation around that. There's a temptation around lying and relationships, and it's just there are no, there's no end. Just as Hannah and Barbara were so excited to find material for their show, with no end. There is no end to the amount of temptation that you can face in your life. Verse 14, James goes on to say, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Each person. Once again, so when tempted, not if, but when, and each and every person. I was talking with a friend recently who was older, and I said, hey, does it get easier? He's in his 80s. Does it get easier when you get into your 80s? And he was like, no. And I was like, man, I thought for sure it would get easier as you got older. And he said, oh, actually, it's a little bit harder. I love Doug Moo uh, said this, Christian maturity is not indicated by the infrequency of temptation, but by the infrequency of succumbing to temptation. And I'd like to think that I'm hopefully getting smarter the older I get, or maybe not smarter, just wiser. But it turns out that temptation is going to be with us for the rest of our days. And so in light of that, I think it's so appropriate to look at what James says because he gives us such helpful metaphors that help us understand how temptation works. And not only how it works, but then how do we stand against it? He says in verse 14, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away. Temptation by itself may or may not be sinful. But each person, when they are dragged away by their own evil desire, they're enticed. Remember, tempted is to do something wrong or unwise against what God has and they're dragged away. It's almost like the idea of a fish being pulled away from where it wants to go after that hook gets set. And he says that it comes from our own evil desire. It's that sin nature and part of us that's inside of us that we all struggle with. 
It's our own evil desires that, that Satan plays on. And once again, he's had thousands of years to perfect this. In the New Testament, the word desire is translated a couple different ways. Sometimes it has to do with desire like you're hungry. Um, sometimes it's desire like uh, sensually, like those kind of desires. And then sometimes what he's speaking about here would be desire to do anything that God has prohibited. And once again, haven't we struggled with that since the very beginning? God said, you have the whole garden, anything you want but one tree. And what do we want? The one tree. God says, I've given you all these things and you can't have that. And what do you want? The one thing you can't have. And so James is trying to help us understand that each person is tempted when they're dragged away by what's inside of them, their sin nature. And it's enticed because it looks so good and so promising, but it's not. My son, when he was about three years old, fell in love with fishing. And he uh, was so excited to be, the first time, I'll never forget the first time he caught a fish, he literally ran off the dock and had, we pulled him out of the water. He had this pole in his hand, a fish on the line, and he was just shaking because he was so excited. Well, since then, he's figured out not to run off the dock every time he gets a fish. But what he does do is he, he's, he's really come a long way. He's passed me up a long time ago. He's passed my dad up now. And he, he'll be like, Liam, the water, what do you think? He's like, we need to go with a green one with a purple stripe. And I'm like, seriously, a green one with a purple stripe? You're telling me that's going to work? And he's like, yeah, Dad, it'll work. And sure enough, I cast it and bam, there we go. He knew exactly what to go with. And you look at a lure like this and you think, wow, there's a purple stripe with a black and it's a crankbait of some sort, I think. It's probably the, the, the right word to use. And you think, wait a minute, how on earth are the fish so dumb that the six hooks coming off this thing? And they're like, what's happening? James says it's the same thing with you and me. There's this dragging away because this, they don't see this, they just see this part or they see what it's doing through the water and they just got to go after it. And we look at the fish and we're like, they're so dumb. But I think if the fish had a brain big enough, they would sit in our seats and look at us sometimes because some of the things that we fall for are also dumb. James says, look, when it, when it comes to temptation, you're dragged away enticed by something that's inside of us and Satan, like I said, has had so long to perfect this, so maybe you don't fall for this kind of thing. Uh, maybe you fall for this kind of thing where Satan steps it up a notch, right? It's a Monday morning, you're tired, not paying attention. This is what's called an umbrella rig or an Alabama rig. They're outlawed in most tournaments because there's just too much temptation going on here, <laughs> right? But if you think you can stand up to what Satan has, this is what's coming your way next, is it's not just the little one. He's going to throw a whole lot of something to get your attention, but what we fail to see is we see all the flashy stuff, we see all the sexy stuff, we see all the cool stuff, but we miss something really, really important. And I want you to think about temptation from now on like this. When it comes to temptation, I want you to look for the hook. I want you to look for the part that's going to grab a hold of you and take you in and drag you away and pull you away from what God's called you to do. Because there's something that's going to happen. And if you'll start to look for the hook when you're not facing temptation, right? The temptation that we all face right now is when's he done and when's it lunch? I get it. Me too. You're probably not facing the temptations that you've been facing throughout the week. Maybe to, I don't know, your temptation is different than mine. So that makes all the more sense that while we're here today sitting here, you would start to think through the temptations you face. And instead of looking at it, all the great things, all the good things, think about all the bad things that come when you get hooked in on that. And I think James, he must have understood this in such a way to come up with this sort of language and metaphor around this. Obviously, it was the, from the Lord, but for him to know this, he had to intimately experience it. And I think he faced his greatest temptation was trusting his brother. 
whether you could or not. And so James gives such insight. We have to do this now because we're, we're not prepared for it if we just show up. I have a friend who's a, a recovering alcoholic. He's been sober for a year and a half. And I asked him this past week, I said, hey, what, what is the, what's going on? Like, how, how's it going? And he said, you know, for me, idle time is the devil's playground, and I don't want to be on that playground. And I said, so, so what do you do? And he said, well, I, I asked him specifically why he was working all the time. And he said, if I don't work all the time, I have free time. And when I have free time, I start to fall into these habits, and then I, I end up. He was looking, looking for the hook, so to speak. So what is it in your life? What's the temptation you face, and what specifically is the hook that's going to grab a hold of you and tear you down? I think Jesus gives such a, a great insight in how to handle this. If you remember, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he was tempted with three different things, and I think he saw the hook in every single one of them. Think about it. When Satan takes him out and he's hungry 40 days and 40 nights with no food, and Satan first goes after, what's he go after? Food. And Jesus says, no, no, no. We don't live by bread alone, but on the very words that proceed from the mouth of God. Jesus saw the hook, what he was coming for, and he walked away from it. The second one was what? You can have all these kingdoms in the world if you want. There's power or worship. You can have all these kingdoms if you want. And Jesus said, no, no, no. That's not what this is about. He saw the temptation, what looked great, and he said, no, that's not it. He saw the hook. The last one was where he took him up to the temple, to, to, up to the very steps of the southern temple where one day James, would be, his brother, would be thrown off. And he said, cast yourself down. Let the angels come and get you. And what did Jesus say? No, no, no. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. He saw the hook. And that's what you and I have to do. We have to look at all of the flashiness and all the great things that temptation promises and instead look at what's going to take and, and kill us ultimately. Joseph in the Old Testament saw the hook when he was in Potiphar's house. And it says... It was really interesting and went back and read through that this week. Day after day, she went after Joseph. You don't know the story. Joseph was uh, second in command of all of Egypt, and, and uh, Potiphar's wife basically was trying to seduce him every day. It says day after day, she went after him. And at the end of that passage, we find that Joseph, which gives us such an insight into a, his character, it wasn't he was worried about getting caught. It wasn't that he was worried about losing his job. What did he say? He said, I'm worried basically that I, would, that I don't want to disappoint my God was his motivation for not wanting to do that. And what we find is sometimes the only answer to temptation is to do what Joseph did, which was to run or to flee. And so when it comes to temptation, look for the hook. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3 says, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. I am a perfect example of the simple, Right? And I'm sure you've had moments in your life that you're the simple, where we just keep going and we're like, I don't know why this is going wrong. We look at these lures and we think, these fish are dumb, but we kind of do the same thing. Given the right circumstances and the right things going on in our life, if we're not careful, we'll end up just like they are. And James says, as you're dragged away and enticed, he goes on into verse 15 and tells us, then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. The same thing happens with us as it does with a fish. So what's the hook in the temptations that you face? Maybe it's you need to unfollow somebody on social media or just get rid of it altogether. Maybe you need to stop talking about people behind their back. Maybe you need to quit comparing yourself to everybody else. Maybe the temptation is to be around a, a person or a friend that you're attracted to that's not your spouse. 
Temptation plays on something inside of us, which is our sin nature, and we don't have the power in and of ourselves to stand up against it. That's the bad news. But here's the good news, is that God does provide a way for everything that we face. But you have to recognize the hook and to see it. Desire that we give in to always leads to death. And if you give in long enough, your sin can kill you. But the good news is, is it, it isn't just, doesn't just stay that way. Um, that sin nature that's inside of us that we all struggle with, we're born with it. Matter of fact, Psalm 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. If you don't believe this verse, ask to hang out with a newborn baby. And I'll never forget having a, a, a child for the first time and thinking, wow, this baby is precious and special, and she was and is. But man, it doesn't take long for you to see that sin nature just rile up inside of that baby. And you see that that's the biggest problem that we struggle with. And as we get older, what happens? We learn to mask it. We learn to protect it so nobody sees it. But in reality, it's always there, and that Satan goes after that sin nature. He knows you well enough, and he knows humanity well enough that he's going to go exactly against everything that you, that you believe in and everything that you struggle with. And so it's true that sin is what we come into the world with, but that's one of the great news, or is the great news of the gospel. He goes to help us understand this a little bit better in Romans chapter 6. For those of you who are Christians today, this is one of the incredible truths that I want to remind you of today. For we know that our old self, verse 6 of Romans chapter 6, was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. That you don't have to do this anymore. I think oftentimes we focus around the gospel, which is great, and we tell people, you can be free from sin, free from death, and you can live forever in heaven. But I'm afraid we've sold it short. Because one of the benefits of the gospel is that you don't have to sin anymore. You have the ability to say no to sin. And you have the ability to no longer be a slave to the thing that holds so many people back. And so as Paul's trying to help the Romans understand this, that, look, your old self is what you struggle with. He goes on in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, and he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. Once again, it's being corrupted by what's inside of you. And when the great news of the gospel is, is that your sins are paid for, past, present, and future, the unfortunate reality of living in the world we live today is that until Jesus comes back, we'll continue to live in a sinful, fallen world, and we'll struggle against that. And so there's this push-pull relationship that you have every single day. It's what David prayed, that we would have an undivided heart, so to speak. And that's the struggle. He says that we should put off our old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of our mind, to start to look for the hook and to understand that we have to put on the new self created to be God in true righteousness and holiness. And so when you look at what Satan's doing, he's playing on something inside of us. We're volunteers for temptation every single day. But he doesn't hold the card, all the cards and he doesn't hold everything because there's the power to say no to sin because of what Jesus has done. That is the hope of the gospel, not just for eternity, but also for today. The ability to say no so that you no longer have to be a slave to sin. I think sometimes we've bought into this idea because we live in a sinful, fallen world, that therefore that's just what we are, is sinners. And while we do live in a sinful, fallen world and we are sinners, we don't have to stay sinners. So start to look for the hook 
and start to look and understand that your old self is going to be pulling against you every single day. Satan's going to go after that old self. You've got to create your new self, and you've got to, to renew your mind, as Paul told the Ephesians. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, can I encourage you to investigate what he said? Because James did, and he came away saying he's absolutely who he said he was. First, you have to admit that there's a problem in your life, and it's called sin in the first place, and that the only way you can be made right with God is through Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection pays the price so that you no longer have to be held captive by your sin, that your sins are paid for. And so if you've never done that before, Jesus is calling you to admit that you have a problem, to believe that he's the answer to that problem, and then to confess that he's Lord, meaning he gets control of your life. So you have to look for the hook, but you've got to trust him to lead you and guide you and be willing to follow when he does such things. And so James is trying to help us understand. He gives us the metaphor of, the, of kind of like the fishing, you're being lured away. He gives us the metaphor of what sin does in our life in verse 15 when he says, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. He uses the, the birth metaphor to help us understand that particular part. And then he kind of just seemingly stops. And in verse 16, he throws this our way. Uh, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Well, what on earth could he be trying to get us to, to wrap our heads around here? Because it's all, we're tracking along, we're like, okay, trials, okay, and within trials, there comes some temptations, and this is how you handle temptations. And then he says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. I think we become deceived when we think, first off, that God's tempting us, because he makes clear that's not happening, and we become deceived when we keep our focus on our temptations versus on him. If Satan's greatest goal is to cause you to not trust God, then whether you fall for temptation or not is not the issue. He wants you to not trust God. And as Americans, we're really bad about this, where we just want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and just try a little harder. I'm just going to try a little harder this week. I hope you don't leave here with that mentality today. It's not about you trying harder. It's about you trusting more. And so as you think through this, James says, my dear brothers, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. In this series, we're calling Sweet Sanity. I think that sanity comes when we stop looking at all the things that we can't do, and we start looking at all that God has given for us. And I want to take a few moments now, and I just want you to think about all that God has given you. If you're a believer today, start with salvation, and then your family, and then your job, and then your friends, and then all the other ways in which he's blessed your life. If you, if you think about it, most of the time we're tempted, it's for that one thing, just like the garden. It's that one thing we can't have. But James is reminding us that every good gift comes from God. And sanity comes when we stop looking and chasing for all the things that we don't have and we start looking for all that God has given us. I think what James is trying to do in these particular verses is he's trying to change our gaze from our problems and our temptations back to the giver of all good gifts. There's a, a portion of this where he says, Every good and, good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. One of the Jewish prayers that was often uttered was that God was a God or a Father of heavenly lights. 
And I think if you think of the overall context of James, he's writing to Jewish people that are scattered throughout the known world at that time. I think he's trying to change their gaze from problem and temptation to the giver of good gifts. And I think he wants to do the same thing with you and me today. When you face temptation, absolutely look for the hook. But also when you face temptation, look at all that you've been given. And we, of anybody in the world, of any Christian in the world, we have the most. Not just because of what God's done for us, but look at the abundance that we have. Very, very few of us are actually in need. And if you blow that out worldwide, we have no needs. We have a lot of wants, but our needs are taken care of. And I think that James is trying to change their focus, change their attention, and I think he wants to do the same thing with us. He's reminding them of the providential care that he has. Think about the heavenly lights. Uh, the moon changes. There's, you know, full moon, partial moon, harvest moon. There's all these different moons, right? The, the constellations don't move, but we, it moves along with us, and we're moving. There's always, like, stuff's always changing. Seasons change, but God doesn't. And so in the midst of so many things happening, keep in mind, overall the context is trials. James says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father who does not change. And then verse 18, he says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of all that he created. At first glance, you read that verse and you're like, I have no idea what he's saying. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Here's another way to think about it. He gave us new birth away from our old birth through the gospel that we might be proof and evidence of what he's beginning but hasn't come to pass yet. He's given us new birth through the gospel so that we can say no to sin and yes to righteousness, so that our old heart, a heart of stone, is replaced with a heart of flesh, so that the old is gone and the new has come. He's given us new birth through the word of truth or the gospel so that we might be the first fruits, the, just the beginning of what he's setting in motion. And if you're facing a trial today or you're facing a temptation, I just want to encourage you with this as we end our time today is that this is but a moment. And we are the first fruits of what he set in motion that one day there will be no tears, there will be no sorrow, there will be no death, and we'll look back on this time as but just a blip on the radar. But we're in the midst of it, we often so deeply find ourselves entranced in whatever trial and whatever temptation we faced. So I think what James is trying to do as he wraps up this portion of chapter 1 is trying to pull us back and say, wait a minute, you guys have no idea what's happening here. God is trying to pull, us, to pull the veil back to help us see just a picture of what is happening. James is reminding us that his greatest gift that God has ever given his son is available to you and me today. And that his plan is for you and I to come to know him and for the people of the world to come to know him, but then forever for eternity we'll be with him and we won't struggle anymore, and all will be made right. So if you find yourself in a trial today, can you just be ultra aware that there's going to come temptations that you've never faced before in that time? If you don't find yourself in a trial, and you just find yourself in the midst of temptation, will you look for the hook? Instead of looking at all the flashy promises, look for the hook. 
because it will take you down if you're not careful. And then lastly, I want you not just to think about the good things you've done or the good things you've been given, excuse me, but I want you to look at the giver of good gifts. If you find yourself this week super frustrated for any reason at all, you're tired, you're angry, you're hungry, you're upset, you're depressed, you're stressed out, you're anxious, one of the greatest exercises I can give you is to start making a list of all the good things God has done for you and has given to you. And it won't take long. You'll be writing, and God will start to do something in your heart. He'll activate that new self, so to speak, where you'll be able to see that temptation for what it is and to recognize the hook. And so I hope that is helpful for you today as you think about what God has given to each one of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for his brother James that gives us such a clear picture of what it looks like to follow you. God, help us to be not just people who love to study what James talked about, but God, help us to be people who actually live it out. We thank you that Jesus gave us a perfect example of what this looks like. And so God, whatever my friends are facing this week, I pray that you would give them wisdom to see the hook and the temptations they face. That God, that you would change our gaze off of our temporary, light, and momentary troubles. And that you would call us to fix our gaze on you, the Father who does not change. So God, we are so grateful for your love and your care, your patience, your grace and your mercy, your kindness, your forgiveness, your goodness, your provision and providence, your sovereignty, your love and affection. And God, we thank you that that's just scratching the surface of what you've done for us. So Father, I pray that you would help us today to trust you no matter what we face. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.